where no one knows what's going on. It's just like Maiden, uh, with, with totally anachronistic and uh, all over the place, which I like. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, <laughs> we did it with Metallica and we can do it again. And so far, I'm uh, really enjoying it. It's, it's so much fun for me to be in, in Maiden land, really. <laughs> and uh, I mean, if you go to the second album uh, after Iron Maiden, the self-titled Killers, it's mm. uh, even older songs, actually. It's kind of, you know, the best of the rest, oh, yeah. if you will. So a lot of them are from mid-70s, like Innocent Exile, Drifter, and you mm. can really hear it in the songs. I think there are three absolutely new compositions on it, and the rest are from uh, days past. And, uh, but what you really have also is the first collaboration with Martin Birch. So the sound on Killers is absolutely top-notch mm. already, you know, and um, some of my favorite riffs, uh, like... punk again so right, punk so, oh it's so almost pop great. punk yeah well i mean at the, at the same time you have uh stuff going on like um a new wave uh you know the, which i think new wave of british heavy metal was a pun uh directed at you said new wave uh like bands like television maybe a bit blondie uh this post-punk new uh, new wave uh which which really like took the guitar riffs uh, off, you know, the ultimate riff era, the the seventies, and yeah. really to is uh, like turned them on his head, their heads, and made them, you know, more uh, angular, more you know, robotic, even you know, like kind of reacting against it. And I think Maiden on this album, especially, I was kind of thinking about it before. That they 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 <laughs> approach the riff so weirdly, like upside down, almost. Yeah, uh, yeah. In a way, I, I understand what you're saying, right? And uh, I mean, uh, speaking of them finding their sound on peace of mind, that was also the first album with Nico McBrain on the drums. Mm. His signature kind of. He always reminded me of this painter that you know is doing these broad strokes, you yeah. know, all all across the canvas. Whereas uh, Clive Burr was much more of a precise guy. You know, mm. uh, a lot of his fills are just straight up uh, snare, like that. And mm. he does it really well. Uh, I can see some Cozy Powell influence there from Rainbow, among other bands. And uh, definitely Lars uh, took this further, you know. He, he really, uh, like, uh, utilized the eight-note eight note, uh, snare fill. Like that, you know. Yeah. And... Uh, uh, I love Clive Byrne. A lot of uh, like diehard fans prefer him over Nico McBrain, but I can't say that I prefer him over Nico. I think just as Bruce Dickinson, Nico is kind of integral to what Maiden was to become. And uh, but there's a huge difference. They're very different drummers. Yeah, but Nico McBrain also, you know, maybe this helped. But he's also friends with Lasse Barry Hagen, you know, and they play <laughs> yeah. golf together. I mean, this might have helped in his, uh, you know. Picking his, him over Clyde Burr. I don't know. He, he's friends with everyone. I, I, I heard from this uh, Norwegian journalist uh, that uh, he met Nico around the Fear of the Dark era and they really kind of hit it off and, you know, they had a good banter and a good hangout. Mm. So when Nico is returning to Oslo, uh, he's uh, contacting management and saying like, you know, I can't do all these interviews. Uh, instead, I'm going to do a full day with this nice dude. 
So he, he was just <laughs> hanging out with him for so the good. whole day. And they went to like uh, public schools to music class. It's like, in music class today, your teacher, Nico McBrain. <laughs> yeah! You know, he loves that kind of stuff. There's videos on, on the internet when he teaches kids to play Phantom of the Opera. Very seriously, too. Like, oh, no, you all be on for this part. Uh, I can't do a Yorkshire accident, accent, but... Accident. Uh, accident. <laughs> Yorkshire is a bit of an accident, isn't it? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's just that kind of guy, you know. He has this philanthropical vibe, I think. Yeah, I, I, I always think when I look at him, you know, with with his, um, he looks like a boxer, you know, with his nose. And, and it was it was also boxed in. That's why yeah. it looks like that. And and actually, he reminds me always of my. And you met him, my uh, grandfather on my mother's side. Um, who used to when when you came to our I said we'd known each other for so long, but to our birthday parties <laughs> and he would sit in the corner and, and you know he was quite old than eighty nine or something and he would uh, say hi to everyone like uh, you know uh, reach out his hand but he would always and you told me this he would keep uh, keep hold of the hand and start asking questions and like telling you things right do you remember this yeah he uh, he also had a uh, nose like Nico McBrain. He had been a boxer in his youth, so he also had this kind of flat nose. And I think you remember him as well. Uh, he would sit on our yeah, I, I sure do. Birthday, birthday parties. Uh, we we known each other for so long, you would come to our birthday parties. That's right. And he would sit in the corner kind of greet everyone. Uh, you, you, t you told me this also afterwards. No, he, he was like, uh, he was talking about Södermalm with me. Uh, for our international listeners, that's the southern island of central Stockholm. And uh, or maybe even Kungsholmen as well. I don't remember exactly, but he was talking about like uh, how it was in the, in the olden days. And uh, <laughs> with these great stories, you know, of running away from angry, provoked old men when they had been out doing shenanigans. <laughs> uh, very charismatic guy, really. Like, I, I, of course, remember him, even though I met him uh, maximum two times, probably yeah. one time. But he would he would hold on to your hand so you wouldn't like walk on. <laughs> so yeah, but not in, a, not in a commanding way. It was more like uh, yeah, you you wanted to be there, like you, you wanted to hear the stories. And I think uh, comparing him to Nico McBrain makes sense because Nico is also this storyteller. And he, when he's in interviews these days, you know, uh, modern type interviews that don't have a a network uh, time constraint. Yeah, you know, they can talk. He talks. <laughs> He talks like he, he usually he says that he when he's doing interviews, he answers all the questions before they get to them because he just talks so much, you know, storyteller. Hey, but uh, talking uh, Nick McBrain, I have a riff here and see if you uh, which is from uh, Peace of Mind. Uh, Oof, if cool. you know which one it is. You ready? I'm. Revelations is one of their best songs, and it's uh, the first um, complete Bruce Dickinson composition. Mm. And that's kind of a gain for riffs topic, uh, a riff written by a singer. 
and yeah. written for singing because that's really the case in this song and I did feature a riff from this one and it's one of my choices in my discussion with Maiden Podden and it's the <laughs> This is super basic A minor stuff, but um, so good. really cleverly put together, uh, kind of special song. I'm not gonna completely steal your thunder because I want to hear your mm. uh, yeah, yeah your I mean, reflections on this one on Revelations. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's on Live After Death, and I think the it's really good rendition on that. It's slightly faster yeah. also because uh, yeah. it, it it for me who grew up with that version, the version on the album is like uh, awkwardly slow. Uh, it's mm. weird to say. It's a, Many a bit... agree with you. Many agree with you. Um, but it, it really also has. Uh, a, I think I think he also sings it better on the live album. But it, it starts with this um, again. I mean, it's a fantastic riff. I just have to the start. It's just so amazing. It has this. Um, he he's reciting. You know, he's ta- he's taking. Um, it, this song is like an amalgam of uh, all different types of uh, influences, and I think this really yeah. speaks. And I wanted to get to that. I think it's very interesting uh, about Bruce Dickinson's uh, songwriting and influences. Uh, so it's, uh, he has. Um, Quotes from the Bible, you know, like the revelations, but it also has to do with Aleister Crowley, this uh, yeah. occultist and founder of uh, uh, Satanism, right? Yeah, um, kind of, or occultism at least. Yeah, occultism. Sorry, yeah. and it, it also, but it, it's it plays with these two themes and it marries them. And I think he says, like, if I if I remember correctly, it was a long time ago, but it's like how he likes to play with words and also concepts that uh, concepts that can seem far far from each other they can find uh, you know they can uh, marry in his lyrics and he really yeah. likes to do that stuff i mean on the say uh, on later on um i mean there's a lot of uh, edgar allan poe and um uh, definitely a lot of crowley as well stuff like this going on even though know, influences uh, but it's also also fun how he he kind of recites it's the the verse lyric, O God of earth and altar bow down and hear our cry, our earthly rulers falter, our people drift and die, the walls of gold and tomb us, the swords of scorn divide, take not yeah. thy thunder from us, take away our pride. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's so good. Uh, it's so good. I mean, it's it's actually from this hymn, and it's not that yeah. ancient hymn. It's mm. uh, fairly recent, and it, it was sang by this, you know, British workers' choir. Mm. And he always been a bit of a blue collar guy, you know, yeah. in his in his attitude. And uh, I mean, it's quite beautiful verse, and even the melody is lifted from mm. this hymn. It's yeah. sung like that. Uh, again, dear listener, I'll put it in here. The whole modern world has divided itself into conservatives and progressives. The business of the progressives is to go on making mistakes. The business of the conservatives is to prevent the mistakes from being corrected. 
It is not so repulsive to see the poor asking for money as to see the rich asking for more money. These are the days when the Christian is expected to praise every creed except his own. For the great gales of Ireland are the men that God made mad, for all their wars are merry, and all their songs are sad. For reasons that are patently obvious, G.K. Chesterton is one of the most frequently quoted authors of the early 20th century. Considered by many a rare genius, his prolific creative output included novels, poetry, plays, biography, literary and art criticism, Christian apologetics, and philosophical works. An avid and talented debater, he took on his generation's leading agnostics and atheists in numerous public forums. The following hymn, written in 1906, prophetically exposed the hearts of mankind in a corrupt Western culture just on the cusp of two horrendous world wars, seeking God's forgiveness and assistance. sang by some workers choir uh, it's a mm. uh, very it's actually the song you know uh, the first part yeah. of it this verse but then of course he heavy metalized the the um, arrangement and the harmonization yeah. with the It's smartly, it's smartly done. It's smart, and he, he really is different than Steve Harris in this sense. Steve Harris is an eccentric, right? Yep. He, he comes in with his... Uh, and then here you have like almost polar opposite type of arrangement with... But Steve Harris famously loves this song. He's a huge fan of Revelations. Um, like when he lets a song into the band, uh, for him it's as much of a, a maiden staple as any of his songs. Mm. But he's definitely like a bit of a gatekeeper. <laughs> uh, you know, he's just a, the band boss. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, Revelations, anyway, great idea to do this. Very impressive. And again, Bruce's age at the time, uh, 24. You know, <sighs> yeah. You, you're not incredibly seasoned at that time. And he brings in all this, uh, what could you call it? An eclectic, an eclectic set of, of lyrical influences with a bit of uh, uh, Egypt mythology, you know, like foreshadowing Power Slave and also mm -hmm. Alistair Crowley, a bit of tarot stuff and tantric mm. sex is in there, <laughs> a bit of Hinduism. 
so it's all this kind of pagan or and or <laughs> pagan and not uh, but really the title is different revelations mm. you know it's really cool song i mean it um yeah and I, it's a good riffing going on as Pretty perfect, uh, actually. It, it's it's very different for for Maiden, I think, also. But yeah. uh, definitely, Bruce also like Bruce. Kind of, I mean, of course, he joins the band on Number of the Beast, but because of uh, like this contractual obligations with his uh, pri- a previous band, Samson, he he's not allowed to be credited as a songwriter yes. on that. Album. Is that true? It's true, and he yeah. wrote parts of um, at least Run to the Hills and Children of the Damned. Uh, he's mm. definitely wrote, uh, and he's definitely compensated for this, but he's not in the booklet for yeah. legal reasons. Yeah. And actually, a lot of the early, early Maiden stuff has other songwriters involved that have been bought out. Uh, mm. Not many know this, that like songs like uh, Strange World or Sanctuary, they're not written by Steve Harris. <laughs> it says <laughs> Steve Harris. He's partly he's a co-written, co-writer, but he has, people have been bought out. Of Maiden, yeah. like Sanctuary, I know he got paid three hundred pounds for that, for that song. <laughs> Maybe that's why they still play it live, just to rub it in his face. Like you only got three hundred pounds. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, Dickinson comes in. I think this is kind of his opus, and then obviously on on the next album, which is a riff I'll get to, is uh, Power Slave, which is also like solely credited to Bruce. There are mm. only four songs in the catalog that are. And uh, he's a good songwriter, and he's again very different in method to both Adrian and, and Steve, and then later mm-hmm. Janik, who also is like a, a big songwriter for the band. And uh, what do you think about the structure of, of Revelations? Yeah, I mean, I mean it, it, it. That's true. I mean, you you kind of uh, touched on it with um, the first verse being this, um, or I, I said it also. I mean, it, it, him, but he also kind of recites it, and then. There is more of, um, I think, more of a verse uh, that is also on these plucked chords, right? Yeah. Just uh, a babe in a black abyss. No reason for a place like this. The walls are cold and souls cry out in pain. It's the same chorus as in, you know, all these pop songs. Yeah. Save tonight, tomorrow I'll be gone. <laughs> Run tomorrow. Now make a dawn, save tonight. <laughs> it's the exact same uh, chord cadence. It's super duper, uh, what's the word? Standard guitar chords, you know. But it's so nice. A minor, it's, F yeah. major, C major, G major. Yeah. But it's all like copy. the secret of the hangman, the smile on his lips. <laughs> I love that row. That's yeah. from tarot. That's from a tarot card, uh, yeah. the hangman card, yeah. because he's, you know, it's the secret of the hangman is smiling. And I always like that row. For me, it's like an existential row mm. that, you know, maybe it's okay when this life is over. Yeah. Uh, but he also nails it on the live after death. Uh, that part and then it comes the chorus it's an amazing song I mean it's also kind of yeah. you know a, a mo- it's also you know if you were mainstream uh, if you know Maiden from the mainstream song the biggest hits you know maybe you don't need you don't know this song you know it's a deep cut for them but like if you really listen to Maiden this is a fan favorite I would yeah. say and they played it on the last tour and it was definitely one of the highlights you know it has this Bruce is very very good at crowd interaction 
I, I think I touched on this before, maybe, that uh, when I was 13 and saw them the first time, that you feel so invited, you know, you really feel like you're part of this. And when he's, you know, he, go, he goes down, grabs the ground and pulls up the air, like, da 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 hi, da 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 hi, da, you know, super basic, but uh, conveying tons of emotions and, and power, frankly, you know, it's powerful. I made this. Uh, I made a riff that I, I was. I kind of re- realized now that I was inspired by it. I mean, it almost became a song that we started playing, but we kind of had stopped playing when I had written this riff. But it's from the song Rock Academy. If you remember that one, <laughs> I do remember Rock Academy. Yeah, <laughs> so good. But it really is revelations, but but backwards. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. No, but it, that, the... isn't that interesting? I mean, I, this is something we, we haven't talked about it, but uh, we have we definitely haven't featured our own riffs often. But I just felt like this one is—it's uh, just a, like a fun throwaway for me. It's not like yeah. uh, I don't care so much about uh, it, but it's nice. But it really came like subconsciously from Revelations, the intro riff. It's something that we haven't talked touched so much upon. Like you realize way later, you know what it's based on or where you stole the idea, because you know stuff doesn't yeah. come out of nowhere. It's uh, that's not Definitely how it not. works. Including a very unique band like this one, like Iron Maiden. There's still so much you can follow up in Thin Lizzy, Deep Purple, UFO, mm. Wishbone Ash, and uh, Black Sabbath. Really, like. Uh, it's always there, right? And uh, yeah, I did play one of my riffs in, in this show before the for the sickened voice to hear uh, oh. canopy riff, right? Uh, speaking of our then culture minister, but <laughs> anyway, this is our maiden. Uh, we are on our maiden, a huge band in Sweden, actually. By the way, mm. like uh, we have the most like fanatic fans of this band uh, uh, shared with South America. That's I would like, say we're so. Ma- we're maiden is religion and. Now I've been nerding out on it lately, and also in these like COVID times, there's a lot of online. People are just online a lot, and I've figured like there's so many super nerds on the, on this band. <laughs> also on Metallica, of course, you know, but so many super nerds that you know can really challenge me on my on my already unhealthy amount of of made knowledge. Yeah, now for sure. I mean, it's even even me who you know I wouldn't say I'm. Uh... Um, I'm an expert on the band. <laughs> no, I know a lot about the band. You know, it's yeah. not hard to like find stuff to talk about because they are uh, such an integral part of Swedish uh, society. I would say they are. They are, and uh, we touched on it before. Uh, our public radio and, and public TV, state TV, state radio, have um, done a lot of work with this band, and good work at that. They've uh, mixed like uh, I think at least four live shows. And uh, a couple of them also with um, images to go along, footage to go along with it. Yeah, but I, I mean, the, it's kind of how public service uh, television and radio should work. I mean, if there is a, a, a part of society, a big part of society that likes something like, uh, be it something political or be it uh, Iron Maiden, they should feature it. And it's, you know, Metallica also gets uh, its due, but I think. For sure, Iron Maiden is the most played, uh, you know, live uh, recorded yeah. <laughs> band. You know, I always Sweden. wondered like who gets to mix it. 
uh, he must be a Maiden fan. Like, why yeah. wouldn't you put a Maiden fan on the mixing? And they always mix it very well, too. Uh, obviously, it's a different style than when Maiden mix their own live shows, but it's very well done and, like, uh, internationally renowned. But I'm wondering, when you see... Uh, <laughs> I actually, I heard this today. But when you see, when you see a, like, if you see, like, back backstage on... Uh, uh eurovision song contest you know there here comes the sound engineer he has super long hair down to his waist he's a heavy metal fan you know that's where they come from and uh, today i was just helping a friend out uh he was he wanted like these light boxes you know that hang over a um a store you know where you see like yeah the gold rullen or whatever and they we we took it down (laughs) okay the gold rullen was a deep cut but uh seen some um, and we, I helped him take it down, but we were standing up there and working. This guy comes by, like, yeah, hey guys, if you don't want the Warsteiner uh, sign that's hanging there, maybe I can take it. We were like, yeah, help yourself. And but he was like, yeah, so you, and he was like very friendly, but he was standing there, and he had this kind of uh, Bluetooth uh, speaker on his waist, like listening to music, and he was asking us like what we were doing. Like, are you working with this? I was like. Ah, not so often. He was like, "Yeah, you look more like a sound technician." <laughs> you do, actually. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you look uh, like you have tattoos, but you have none. I, I have tattoos. I have tattoos. Like uh, everyone that gained for riffs knows that all I right. have tattoos. Yeah, uh, I mean, in my mind, you do. Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. What? Uh, what? Where were we? Uh, <laughs> where were we? We were on this band, Iron Maiden, you know, and yeah. just. Uh, the majestic uh, following they have in, in Scandinavia. Oh, yeah. And, uh, now, now I was doodling another riff uh, that I'm not going to, you know, it's not shit time to talk about, but it's the intro of uh, of the Killers album, the instrumental track, Ides of March. Mm. And it has this... Just about that, uh, to not get stuck on, on, on like, uh, just uh, rambling on, on this intro. Like, what do you think about intros in general? Yeah, but I was thinking, like, intros, intros in general or intros to Iron Maiden albums. Because I was recently, <laughs> recently, I've been listening only to Maiden the last few weeks. And I was listening to Final Frontier for the first time, which has, like, a very mm. different intro than yeah. any other Maiden album, I would yeah. say. Yeah, you know what? It's actually lifted straight off of Adrian's laptop that intro yeah except for bruce's vocals they didn't uh, reproduce it i thought it was really cool actually i like yeah it. it's better than the song that follows i think yeah i i, I clicked away I, I didn't listen to the rest <laughs> yeah. no, the song <laughs> is okay but i mean yeah uh, let's not waste time on that one okay but, <laughs> but i okay, was intros. thinking about this thing yeah. with intros you know like uh, for example uh, <laughs> You know, uh, haunted, uh, dark intentions, and just to have these like one minute long instrumentals in style of Ides of March. Mm. I um, yeah, I'm gonna spoil my opinion. I l- yeah, I love it when when uh, when uh, metal mm. bands do this. I think it's a great idea to have a, yeah. an instrumental intro cut uh, in a short form. Yeah, and I mean, you have it with uh, Metallica 
uh, also, but they, they they tie it into the song, but it's really its own thing, like yeah. fight fire with fire and uh, uh, blackened and uh, battery. You know, it's an it's an yeah. intro. It really could be its own song, but they they want in the beginning there they wanted to, wanted to stick to eight nine songs. You know, it was enough. That's a cool intro. It's even better than Ides of March. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. you know, I think that I know where they kind of got it from, right? And yeah. uh, metal is a majestic genre. Sometimes you need, like, a little bit of warm-up. But I would say Maiden are pretty good with opening tracks. Like, a lot of their opening tracks really serve the pur- purpose of kicking you up to gear. Yeah. Um, d- definitely. Uh, I think... Um, but, I, I mean, if you... Okay. Like, it's maybe it, it's a hot take. But I think that uh, Number of the Beast, you know... It starts with the wrong song. It should start it with does, the does. number of the beast. <laughs> uh, you should start listening to the B side. I mean, that's how. Have I said this before? Uh, that Nick Anderson said this in Rockpodden that he thought that the B side was the A side. No. <laughs> and he, he completely believes that that's how you should listen to the album. And I agree. I love to have Hello Be the Name like a middle epic instead of a closing epic. Uh, so I, uh, now that I have it on vinyl, I listen to it that way. <laughs> I start with the B side. But I wanted to feature a bit of Invaders just because it's it has some of the ugliest riffs. Yeah. Okay. It's, cool. Maybe the chorus may be the ugliest riff we ever had in this show. Uh, Love it. You know, the, <laughs> the the intro has this machine gun. And then that rocking riff. And then the verse is almost Wicker Man. It's like... Anyway, <laughs> that's, a, that's a cool intro, but the song, they're not super happy with it, and it's probably because of the chorus. First you get into this uh, pre, like bridge riff. Uh, it's already quite ugly, right? <laughs> yeah. And then... Super ugly, but like it's still not as ugly as this riff. <laughs> Is that the ugliest riff ever? <laughs> it's I mean, it's super like ugly. Yeah, it's uh, it's really bad. Um, but it, it, I mean, if if you're if you you were talking bit, bit before about how Killers, you know, had songs that were written before the first album, and this was ri- li- yeah. maybe written live for a pub audience, you know, as kind of uh, kind of riffing on what was going on in the in the pub. Like, imagine this: like this uh, 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 bartender uh, lifting, going out with all these uh, pints of lager, and they're like, <laughs> you know, playing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he's tripping and he's falling over and it spills in someone's face and he's a big guy with a big red beard and he comes up and he starts you know <laughs> fighting I mean it's kind of it's a this carnivalesque idiotic yeah. riff but this, this is a song that I really like try to I like to uh, maybe be devil's advocate for it because I still think it's a killer opener it's based on an earlier song which most of the number of the beast is fresh but uh, mm. this is based on an earlier song which is even worse called Invasion Mm. That's like a really crappy Maiden song. <laughs> Maybe the worst they've done. <laughs> uh, but uh, Invader still has, you know, like, for example, the intro is pretty kick-ass. Uh, 
and then also that riff that comes after. And, uh, yeah. That's a rocking, cool riff, and uh, it has a cool tempo to it, and sure. like the the verses, great singing, like um, the swords and shields gleam in the sun. Ready, stand and fight. But uh, the chorus, what's happening there? <laughs> I even tried to rewrite it. You know, oh yeah, like, can 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 this be rewritten? And it can't. There's there's no way around it. <laughs> you have to play this <laughs> super shitty riff. Again, I'm going to feature it again just to taunt everyone listening. Like. <laughs> Come on. That's the worst <laughs> riff in history of riffs. But I like Invaders. It's, it's a cool opening. But uh, Steve always said that that's the reason that he thinks Peace of Mind is so superior. That mm. uh, there were still a couple of rushed songs on Number of the Beast. They had like, they didn't have much material left. And they wanted to make a big statement. And time was of the essence. Yeah. So this is a quick written album and you can hear it in songs like Invaders or maybe Gangland, you know, mm. which is also a pretty cool song, you know. Yeah, yeah. I would say The Prisoner is uh, by far my favorite on the A-side. Oh, yeah. Do you know any riffs from that? No. Uh, I just know, like, it's just a great chorus melody. It's just, like, perfect. Yeah. Uh, I did play it before, but I don't, can't remember. Like... Something like that. Yeah, uh, that's also like an Adrian Smith, uh, like his first entry into the band, if you speak uh, discography uh, in terms of discography, right? Is but the first, Adrian uh, Smith, he is a bit of uh, uh, the Bruce Springsteen of the band. You know, for he, sure, for sure. He, <laughs> no he almost doubt. looks like him. Uh, it's yeah. like the Gubrock, uh, you know, really. Uh, yeah, uh, the most masculine guy in the band. You've met my friend Emil Landin, right, from Östersund. Mm -hmm. I think he's been in your place way back in Solna days. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he's like, he's a huge fan of uh, Adrian Smith, as am I. And also Lemmy Kilmister, as am I. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Bruce Springsteen, as am I now. Like last year, I really got into Bruce Springsteen. And, and uh, he also looks like Lemmy and, uh, and Adrian in a way. He has that kind of, uh, the face of a, of, of a jagged bird <laughs> or something like that. I don't know, it's hard to explain. Uh, but, uh, but really, like, there is some kind of kinship there. And it's, it is this kind of seasoned man thing, you know. Like, uh, he doesn't, uh, he's not frenetic on stage, let's say. He has a very calm stage demeanor and a very planned manner of playing. Mm. But still grooves. And, uh, you know, it's definitely my favorite guitarist of the band would be Adrian Smith. Like, listen to Back in the Village, that riffage and his solos. And, uh, mm. yeah, just a, it's a great guitarist. A lot of Michael Schenker in him. I think more Blackmore in uh, in Dave Murray and more Michael Schenker in uh, in Adrian. Mm. Um, he's more poppy. He's so much more poppy. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, I would like to, ha however, kind of ground this episode a little bit sure. now and bring Grounded. in an instrument that uh, haven't been played that often in this show. But for this band, it's just like the integ the absolute most important instrument in a way. So. Uh, yeah, speaking of course about the four string bass. <laughs> <laughs>
the clairvoyant. Mm. It's like the the grown up, uh, no, not the grown up. It's the old elder sibling of Number of the Beast, in a yes. sense. Yes, that yeah, song. that's exactly what I wanted to point out. That it's um, kind of also invert from my favorite album. Yeah, really. Seventh Son, yeah, it's my favorite Maiden album. Uh, it was not back in the day. It was not, but uh, it has become my favorite Maiden album, and I'll, I'll get into that. But uh, I'm gonna let you have the word on on clairvoyant since you yeah. just brought it in. <laughs> Yeah, um, <laughs> just had to play yeah. that part also. Uh, na, 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 na. Yeah, it, it, it was like one of the also one of the first like when I was uh, you know now I go really I, I kind of in a way I'm I'm I'm, gro- I'm trying to ground now by like going back to the bass and it's important and I'm already back on the guitar and my mind is already like raging back to the time when I heard the song. Uh, the first time, I think it was off the, also off a live album of uh, Live in Donington, I think. Okay, yeah, it's on there. It's on there. Which features a lot of bad bad songs, but also a lot of good yeah. stuff, I think. Uh, and I think the version of this one is good as well. Um, it also has. Uh, it's it just yeah, like you say, like it's an um, it's a ver- it's a kind of a version of. Um, uh, Number of the Beast. Number of the Beast. You know, it's a very similar riff. Maybe you can, uh, can you can drop that riff. I don't know. Maybe you want to feature it yeah, later. Like, uh, yeah, it's not on my list, but you know then. And then you have this. Uh, very close there. And also in, in Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, there's a similar part. But uh, just as we are on the clairvoyant, yeah. I'd like to pinpoint the beautiful kind of layering of uh, of um, guitar harmony in the verse done mm. by i think adrian smith uh, in the verse it switches to a, a minor mode instead of the major mode of the intro yeah exactly you got it yeah i like it it's, it's like very What's even the word? It has this um, emotional vibe, I guess, or um, serious. It's a very serious verse in that song, uh, you know, because it starts out with this major mode. And then, uh, of course, the chorus has to be featured. Mm, And it's been a while since I played it. (laughs) I'm looking now at this this very simple tab to see if I can (laughs) find my way to the chorus. Uh, Do you know the chorus? Well, it's now, well, it starts, you know, with this uh, kind of part. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Uh, I like that riff. Yeah. It has this uh, uh, kind of accept, you know, balls to the wall or. Um, Princess of the Night, that kind of vibe. Yeah. I wonder why, I wonder how. 
that it seems that the power's getting stronger every, every day. day. I feel a strength and in a fire. But I'm scared I won't be able to control oh, it anymore. <laughs> it's harder to sing these songs than, uh, than Metallica. But uh, yeah, this song has a, uh, that's kind of the start of the Seven Sun theme. Mm. That this, uh, this clairvoyant, uh, she passed away. And Steve Harris, being a very physical guy as he is, he's not very much for metaphors. He was like, yeah, so she was clairvoyant. Could she have foreseen her own death? Mm. And then he just got stuck on that. I don't think it's a very interesting question, to be honest. Like, yeah, maybe she couldn't, you know, I don't really care. But Steve, <laughs> Steve got stuck on this, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, it is funny, right? Steve yeah. just got stuck on this and creates a whole concept album based on this, combined with uh, Bruce's leftover ideas because he was left out of the songwriting process on the prior album, Somewhere in Time. He wanted to go, do you know this? That uh, no. he wanted to go acoustic on the sixth album. No. Uh, like uh, Led Zeppelin three, you know. Okay. Wow. Uh, because he was just worn out from the road and he felt like, how much bigger yeah, can we make this heavy, heavy metal uh, concept? Mm. Shouldn't we bring it down now? And I think it could have been interesting for sure, but that was not what the rest wanted. Everyone else was like, nah, you know, screw that. We, we're going to do a future metal album with, uh, with Summer in Time. And uh, he was almost about to leave the band at that point, yeah. you know. And you could maybe you could realize that, and no one had told him that his ideas were cancelled until he arrived in the studio in the Bahamas. So he arrives there, and then he's like, "Okay, so some bad news, Bruce. None of your shit is on the album." <laughs> and and then he said, like, he really considered for a full day: Am I gonna buy myself a ticket back to England and leave this band, or am I gonna stay in as the singer? Yeah, but that is the Iron Maiden equivalent of uh, no, uh, you have to go back on the bus. <laughs> it's the Greyhound yeah, bus for you, kinda, Bruce. But he just he took the high road, and uh, yep. he's just a singer on that album. And I think a lot of it comes down to his camaraderie with Adrian Smith, because mm. it's kind of Adrian's album. You know, he did write solely write both the singles, mm. and then another song on top of that. Uh, which is rare uh, to see on a Maiden album. And I think Steve was also probably tired at that point from the, you know, the extreme World Slavery tour. So that album is uh, it's a very interesting Maiden album. Not everyone's favorite. I love it. And I featured a riff already on our, on our Instagram from the, oh, yeah. well, uh, from the title track. The... classic made an intro again and it was inspired mm. by blade runner that's the theme they went with for that album and oh. you know maiden going into the future and in the super futuristic year of 1986 <laughs> i often I, you know, I often claim 
that uh, time has been going backwards since 1986. Okay. <laughs> but that's when things stopped. You know, this is obviously I know that things have developed since then. But mm. I think the mid 80s or the later part of the mid 80s were so futuristic. Mm. And it was just a lot of everything and very maximized. And uh, I tend to dig it. And I think like uh, time has been moving backwards since uh, Cliff Burton died and Caught Summer in Time was released. So coincidentally, I get younger every year because I was born. Two, uh, I was born two weeks after Cliff died, I think, or, or four weeks, something yeah. like that. So I hope I'm a reincarnation of of Cliff Burton. I I mean I, I I that's how I look at you, my friend. You are the reincarnation of Cliff Burton, no doubt about wow. it. I mean, you have the same laid back style and uh, groovy riffage. So hail to you, man! Yeah, that's an honor. Thank you. Nice. I mean, for you, dear listener, we're recording on a, on a Friday night this time. We usually record on Friday daytime. Yeah. So I've I've canceled any social plans, and I'm here to enjoy my night of uh, weekendly night of leisure, talking about Iron Maiden with Ole, and yeah. I'm having a good time. Yeah, me too. I mean, it, I mean, it, it's a bit like, um, yeah, definitely me too. I mean, it's just that. I'm also now I'm getting uh, like warm also in my in my body because it was so cold. But I have these small radiators going like left and right to me, uh, and now I'm also getting in into the riffage. But I'm kind of because we're moving so all over the place. I'm also kind of confused <laughs> in yeah. a way, and I would like kind of to um, ground it again because I tried with um, uh, with the clairvoyant, but then. You started talking about the so this weird uh, subject matter of the song, <laughs> yeah, and then true. Uh, and then actually go go into the like I must say the weirdest album, Seven Son of a Seven yeah, Son. it's the weirdest, but it's also the most Maiden. That's probably why it's my favorite, you know, because <laughs> okay. it's so much Maiden. Like take a song that the Evil Let Men do. I don't know any riffs from it, but is that just Maiden nuclear version? Mm. Four minutes of everything that they do, and uh, you know just. Uh, I think it's a powerful album, and I think it's a, an album for um, maybe a little bit more seasoned Maiden fans. Mm. Because again, first time I heard it, I didn't really get into it. I didn't like the synthy aspect of it. I didn't like the D and D aspect of it. You know, Dungeons and Dragons vibe that is clearly there, or fantasy, whatever yeah, you want to say. So I was more into uh, Number of the Beast or uh, the first mm. Iron Maiden album. They are more street, right? And yep. I would say I'm probably more street, being the reincarnation of, of Cliff Burton. I'm definitely a uh, piece of mind slash power slave, and then like yeah. to just top it off, all off, uh, live after death type of uh, guy. <laughs> let's say solid choices, very respectable choices. Yeah, yeah, and uh, but I do like clairvoyant. Uh, and are we still on that drift? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Sure. I mean, I could feature some some other riffs from Seventh Son since we have arrived upon that album. Uh, uh, one of my favorite riffs ever is yeah. uh, the, from Moonchild, the verse. Mm. <laughs> Also another Adrian Smith number, high energy, but that's also it's a it doesn't happen that often that they collab Smith Harris Dickinson. 
And usually when they do, they come up with really strong songs, uh, mm. which I think is part of Maiden. I think Maiden couldn't really like have a Beatles or Metallica setup, where it's always the same songwriting team. No. Now, th- th- this is interesting maybe to get into, because uh, in a way, it, it, maybe for me, it... Some yeah, okay. I'm I'm starting to learn a little bit, like to recognize who wrote the song. I mean, maybe for with some of these examples, it's kind of uh, if you lean into it and really like, oh yeah, Revelations. That's a Bruce Dickinson song, and uh, Power, yeah, Power Slave, and uh, then Adrian Smith has Back in the Village, yeah. and Steve Harris Power has Slave. most of the other stuff. But uh, you know, like, but. Um, uh, but in a way, it doesn't matter. You know, you can totally yeah. listen to Iron Maiden, and you always get like that Iron Maiden feel. Most of, the, I would say, most of the time, you, you, it's like undeniably Maiden. You know, yeah, it's like that uh, screenshot I sent you by this uh, renowned uh, uh, hard rock journalist from yeah. Japan, saying like they never changed their spirit since the first album, and really, it is true. I have to say, and that also goes to credit uh, uh, the yep. Blaze Bailey era because. As much as it may not work for everyone, and it's clearly a little bit inferior, it's still extremely Maiden. You know, uh, Load is maybe not extremely Metallica. I like the album, uh, yeah. but is it really definitely. that Metallica? For me, it's more like a James Hetfield solo. It was definitely one of our most liked uh, I- images on Instagram, where uh, James Hetfield is holdi- holding uh, Iron Maiden, Iron Maiden. And, uh, yeah. you know... The most yeah, liked, the most, uh, <laughs> the most by liked. far, by far. Whoever came in and like uh, the frontman of Celautica, <laughs> this is a disgrace. <laughs> Remember yeah, that? I answered that one. I, I said that yeah, they really went downhill after No Life to Letter, <laughs> and yeah. a couple of and so did Maiden uh, after the Soundhouse tapes. You know, anyone that listens to anything after the Soundhouse tapes, he's 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 listening to the untrue Maiden, <laughs> or maybe not. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, yeah, I want you to ground this episode because I will be all over the place. But uh, just a little bit like a quick summary of what we have included. We've been touching a lot on the first album. Yeah. And uh, Paul Diano's, uh, like, spares uh, writing input. He's not credited on many songs. Another one is uh, Killers. And uh, that's a song that I like a riff from because it has this strange guitar move. Ooh, so one guitar yes. is doing that. And the other is doing these uh, natural harmonics mm. across it's the neck. It's so good. Which is supposed to mimic uh, knife stabbing. <laughs> like... And that's just you holding like, yeah, the natural harmonic, you know, when you lightly touch the strings and you let them go up across the neck, which is um, forward thinking, I I would say, like it it really propels that song, which is already a Mm. good song. It's a cool song, Killers. I mean, if you're on the bass, of course, you have the iconic bass line. Mm. Which could have been in uh, any new wave or um, you know <laughs> shoegaze band, really. It could have been a baseline in uh, in uh, Joy Joy oh, for Division, sure. For example. No, but it's um, it's really I, I like this. Reminds me of or it's also kind of like uh, Phantom of the Opera, also and this uh, this kind of weird stuff that they may, did in the start. You know, like later yeah. it, it, it. I would say maybe you. What do you think? Um, 
like the first albums they're great but the flow between the riffs are a bit weird it's a bit more stacking but it's also it's also kind of uh angular as i, I like to say like uh, stuff is kind of hitting each angular. other all the time and kind of fighting for yeah uh who what riff is now number one and and then it gets more streamlined, way more streamlined already on Number yeah. of the Beast. Uh, it's way easier to follow. It's a, it's a lot of, uh, it is, and there's a lot of arbitrary changes in tempos in Maiden all yeah. over. Like, you know, one riff has nothing to do with the next riff, mm. really. But still, it's decided that they come in this order. And you just have to jump into new tempos. I've played a few of the songs in like a, a cover band setting, yeah. and it's not, it's not easy. Definitely not easy to, to, to pull this off and to change on a dime, as you would say. Yeah. But so does Black Sabbath, so does Metallica. A lot of these original classic metal bands have this tendency of... Uh, what could you call that naive songwriting? You know? Or uh, Chuck Schuldner, we addressed a couple mm. of weeks back. He does the same thing. He just jumps, you know. It's like, yeah, the song now jumps like this. <laughs> if you were a producer of uh, any kind of popular music or radio music, you can't pull that off. Like, you're going to be stopped. <laughs> Someone's going to say, you can't have three tempos over the course of the first minute. Yeah, uh, exactly. So it, it is very naive. I would call it naivistic or um, childlike in its composition, the first two albums. And uh, also, to a degree, Number of the Beast. But they, do, they, do, they don't stray too far from it, like in... Uh, yeah, you know, like... Uh... <laughs> Rhyme with Ancient Mariner. I mean, uh, it's a crazy song. How long is it? Even 13 minutes? Thir 13, uh, 20, I think. And uh, there's an interview, good, good interview segment with Martin Birch, how he kind of approached it as three different songs. And uh, he was an integral part of how they arranged songs back mm. in the day. And I think you can tell by Maiden uh, post-92 that some of the arrangements are, um, well, I wouldn't say finished. Mm. Like, there's a lot of unfinished type songs on Later Maiden. I mean, I like Later Maiden, of course, I'm, I'm this very, very big fan, but I can miss sometimes that they were able to box it in better when Martin Birch was mm. there. And he did surely have, like, a input on these kind of things. Like, for example, that song, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, how it, you know, it, it ventures yeah. away, it ventures further away, and then he pulls it back. At but the it end. has uh, an ebb and flow that's very natural, even though it's very long but it and it's quite different from the early escapades in phantom phantom of the yeah. opera you know it's very different mm. <laughs> that <laughs> riff also played on the bass of course that's also a really strange chord you mm. know this uh, uh whole tone scale you know the when you fall into a dream or uh, you're in the lost woods in yeah. zelda you know it's everything is surely sounds like some kind of Zelda puzzle forest maze or Definitely. something like that. Yeah. And then uh, with the uncredited spoken word, no one, no, still no one knows who reads the poem in that one. Oh, yeah. Like uh, you have the classic one, uh, Number of the Beast. Uh, that one is, he's actually the guy that later did like uh, intro for um, Count Dacula. <laughs> this 
Okay. Duck, duck vampire, and uh, they wanted to have Vincent Price, you know, from uh, oh, yeah, of course. But he was extremely expensive, so we would have been like oh. half the budget for the Number of the Beast album just for his spoken word intro. So they went with a cheaper version, but I really dig that intro. I like that spoken word intro; it really works. Oh, it's nice, but it's also mixed super low. If you're listening to, at least if you're listening to to Number of the Beast on Spotify, and you mm. you have the like your normal listening uh, volume. It's really low. You kind of have to uh, raise it up to hear it. Uh, uh, it's a stra- yeah. strange thing. I don't know uh, if it's the same on the LP, the vinyl. I always, I always like that it has a little bit of power when the riff comes, so that it's not overpowered okay. by the intro. But uh, mm. yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe you have a point there. And uh, here we have addressed like riffs by Harris for sure, uh, by Dickinson. Uh, like uh, I could just add the, the brilliant Power Slave riff to that. Uh, are all riffs by by bruce i think he's a pretty yeah, good riff I'm, writer and he's like he's a, he's as much a fan of dio as you and me i also love that i also i, I really love that that song is so good but, yeah. <laughs> I know you just played it, but I was like, I was waiting to play it. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I liked your rendition too. Uh, you just have to really like point at the pre-chorus too, because it's it's way outside mm. of Maiden's normal level of heaviness. It's way That's heavier. Really cool. It goes towards this doom, like. That's metal, right? Yeah, there is there is a part in the middle of the solo that I just have to bring out because it's super good in, in Power Slave. Sure. Right. It's, 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 yeah, I mean, it has this kind of, you remember I addressed uh, with Mega Man, how I felt like uh, Iron Maiden sounds like Mega Man, where it's actually obviously the, the other way around. Yeah, but this is the most, this down, is the most down, Mega Man down, riff, That could be on Dr. Wily's stage, right? Oh yeah, but they lifted this directly, I'm sure. It's For in, sure. in the yeah. game somewhere. Um, I'm pretty sure. 
Uh, but it, it's it, it's a fantastic. Can we can we stay on that song just a little bit? Because yeah, it's... Power Slave was famously almost destroyed because mm. uh, Bruce, being a bit of a rascal, uh, like uh, uh, Nico and Steve had this argument because uh, Steve's bass rig uh, stopped working during uh, the World Peace Tour, and he went to his road and told told him told him like go to Nico and tell him to prolong his drum solo. Because these days they still did drum solos. Yeah. So Nico is doing, he's in his mode, you know, in the spirit of doing a drum solo. And then some tech, Steve's tech, is shouting at him. And he's just getting angry, like, what the fuck? Why is he shouting at me? Should I stop soloing? What's going on here? And it was just that he wanted to prolong it to, to fix his bass rig. Uh, but in the end, it led to a big argument. And then um, they kind of settled the argument, but uh, Bruce uh, was amused by this argument. So he went back in with his tape recorder and started asking provoking questions to, to the other guys. And they <laughs> started fighting again. And you can find this on a B-side. <laughs> it's called Mission from Mary. And uh, at, the end, at the end of this B-side, you hear Steve saying, some cunts recording this, super angrily. And, and he famously threw the tape out and he was about to stomp on it. Uh, Bruce just luckily just escaped that because on the B-side of that tape was Power Slave, the riffs. So yeah, living on the edge. <laughs> yeah, living on a razor's I, edge. But it is great. It's made, uh, a bit more straightforward, you know, the the Egyptian, uh, yeah, gods battling it out, or this Egyptian god, uh, the the pharaoh that's about to die, you know, into the abyss I fall, the eye of horrors. horrors. <laughs> uh, it's great. Bruce kind of he kind of downplayed the, the lyrical content and said that it was a bit of a, a whimsical about uh, being slaves to the power of the tour, you know. Uh, mm. So he made a, this kind of connection, and obviously he had listened to Last in Line, Egypt's yeah. The Chains Are uh. On, <laughs> I think. <laughs> I corrected you on this yeah. one last time, so hopefully I'm right there. But, uh, you know, uh, and he said like every heavy metal band seems to end up in ancient e Egypt at one yeah. point or another. Which is fitting, I think. It fits. It's also angular, to use your word. I mean, just listen to it. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, on, on Power Slave, you also have, uh, you have the great uh, Two Minutes to Midnight, where Adrian got his first mm. shot at writing a, a normal rock song. It's hard rock. It's not metal, you know. I featured it in our demo episode, which we'd never released. It was the... Oh, yeah. 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 In the pre-chorus, he, he adds a lot of colors, like the... Oh, yeah. And so forth and it's uh, it sticks out it's definitely a different kind of tune and just like you said in back in the village where mm. we started when he just riffs away this was a similar type thing i mean it's nowhere near an, an original riff he was just riffing backstage uh, we're actually in the hotel they rent this hotel uh, off season on an offshore island uh, called jersey outside of uk or in uk mm. but offshore and uh, famously, he would just play his uh, little practice speaker and Bruce would come in and write lyrics on the spot and start singing on the uh. spot. And I like that kind of writing, you know, 
I, mean, I might want to hear your your chiming in on there. Like maybe there is a some qualities in hard rock or heavy rock that you can't do if it's just soul writing like someone has to come into the room and start jamming on what you're doing adding ideas yeah i mean we haven't really talked about this but the bedroom guitarist uh, which is kind of uh, uh, a corona compatible uh, musical genre that you're you're alone writing music and you're layering uh your own uh, uh your own riffs or your own melodies with with uh vocals and you're adding you know uh harmonies to those vocals and i, I do it as well but it's really like without anyone else uh, working so it's kind of like uh jacking off but it's still uh you know you're making music but then if you involve someone else it can really i think it, w- w- the difference is that it goes faster that it, it uh, you take the, the leaps, uh, the leaps of association between riffs and lyrics that you wouldn't do yourself because you're so stuck in what you what you like or what you uh, what you want to try out. But if someone else comes in and really like shakes it up, that's where it's uh, that's where it's at. That's where it makes sense to be in a band. I mean, if you can't work like that, I don't know. Like it's famously, there's bands, you know, with one principal songwriter that writes everything, and uh, yeah, and no one else uh, can add anything. That's really, I think it's the, it's, it's something interesting, you know, with Maiden, you know, that they they keep like we said before, they keep it Maiden, Maiden, but they are open to um, to influence each other. I think. Yeah, I think so. There's this always this live part of the band, and it, it is a very live band. And maybe mm-hmm. a lot of bands that have been inspired by Maiden, they go more for the studio approach, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I think if you're inspired by... I don't know, it's so hard. Can you tell me one band that is clearly Iron Maiden inspired? In Flames, for example. In Flames. Their principal songwriter, I mean, that's uh, Anders Fredén, the singer, and Jasper... Strömblad, right? The guitarist. And, yeah, lately mostly Björn Schelott. Uh, but yes, ah, okay. yes, in the beginning. But anyway, that band, uh, the reason I brought them up as an example is that they have a bedroom. They, oh, shit, sorry. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> what the fuck? Whoa. Uh, they have a bedroom sound. Uh, they have like this writing yeah. by the computer sound, uh, whereas Maiden has an immediacy, which I think is a little bit lost in uh, modern heavy metal. Uh, but I'd mm. like to hear your uh, opinion on that. Uh, yeah, but I, I think it is the like when you have to be careful. Like, kind of was going that direction also, but you have to be careful when you have all these um, uh, technical uh, assist the technical assistance that a computer and like the internet can offer that you can really make music uh, all the music yourself. And uh, yeah. but then you have to be careful that you not get stuck in. Uh, in the grid, let's say, you know, like for instance, I I, I do enjoy write, writing music a lot, uh, like this by myself. Uh, but I also like for you to hear it. You know, you you can come with some inputs, but it does work better when you are in a band and you try things out. Because when you try it out, you notice immediately what works and what doesn't. And someone else can really highlight a part that you uh, think maybe shouldn't be in the song because it doesn't fit with the part that is your darling you know which you eventually if you're in a band you will kill that part 
Uh, <laughs> so you won't. It's hard to notice yourself. I think. Um, am I even answering your question? I'm not sure. No, you are. And I, at least, as, as, uh, again, I think it's still your mission to ground this. <laughs> That's why uh, what I'm trying to. And I think you're succeeding in that, uh, trying to ground the discussion so it's not complete made nerdery. And uh, that's why I brought that topic up. And I think, uh, like, in terms of, of how they write, obviously Steve has uh, a kind of veto. Uh, what's that in English? You know, final say, I guess. Yeah. And uh, veto. <laughs> Adrian quit the band because of this. That he, he, was, he wanted to do things and he was not allowed to do them. And now that he's back, he says, like, yeah, you've got to be tactful in the studio. He said that around 2005. But then he adds, some more than others. <laughs> Which yeah. is his little, you know, rebellion against the powers that be. That Steve mm. has no tact. He needs to be yeah. 0% tactful in this band. He's like a bulldozer. This is how the song goes. And that's it. So it's not a democracy, you know. And that could also be like a... Like, like a quick topic of, of, of trivia, like, do you think a rock band should be a democracy like uh, Mastodon, or do you think uh, mm. it's preferable to have a, a ruler in the band? Well, you know, I mean, the, you, you go see a lot of rock bands that are really just uh, the frontman writing on the songs, yeah. and you have a backup band. Uh, that maybe they are playing together for, for years, but it's still just... Uh, just one principal song, right? If you go to totally different, um, it's just the, the first band I can think about, uh, of uh, Fleet Foxes, uh, Americana-style folk band. It's yeah. just like the brainchild of one guy, Robin Pecknold, and the rest is just hired musicians. Like, Or maybe they think when they're in the band, um, like famously the, the drummer of Fleet Foxes, uh, Josh Tillman, uh, he he thought it was like I'm in the band I can influence this, but he just found it super hard to do anything other than you know like what Robin wanted. Uh, so he quit and then he became Father John Misty, who is that's like one of the big success stories uh, mm -hmm. uh, lately, like in this kind of alt alternative uh, music landscape. Um, but that that was really like a dictatorship for sure. But the, but when you listen to the music, you feel that there are the, the musicians are they try to get their make their voice heard through what they're playing, you know, because he had he hasn't maybe written everything. It's very similar also to uh, uh, the I want to say <laughs> Pet Shop Boys again, but I mean Beach Boys. Okay, sure. <laughs> uh, with uh, with Brian uh, Brian. Johnson, no, what is his name? Not Brian Johnson. <laughs> anyway, he writes all the songs, and the other guys just like coast on his uh, brilliance. And um, he went mad too, right? Yeah, he went a bit mad, but he got he got back. Uh, and I just have to uh, <laughs> what the fuck is he called? Brian Wilson. Brian, Brian Wilson. Wilson. Yeah, there, there's a super good film that you should see about him. Uh, uh, he's played by two uh, two actors, John Cusack and Paul Dano. Cool. Paul Dano, uh, Paul Dano when he's young and John Cusack when he's old. They don't look anything like each other and they don't look like him, <laughs> which is really fun. Well, John um, Cusack uh, is a fitting actor. Uh, like when you say the name, I think like, yeah, that sounds like a reasonable uh, choice of, um, uh, yeah. um, what's the word uh, when you choose the actors? Uh, reasonable uh, choice uh, cast, of... Uh, casting. Casting, yeah. Reasonable yeah. casting choice. No, Paul, Paul Dano... Sure, looks like him. It looks like him, but John Cusack doesn't. But they play really good. It's a really good film about his uh, mental illness 
and how it was kind of used by uh, a lot of people. Interesting. And, yeah. um, I have been listening you to know, more Beach Boys because you said back in episode, what mm. could have been 15, 14, I don't remember. And uh, I did listen to more Beach Boys and more Phantomas, but uh, more on that later. Oh, okay. Interesting. interesting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, back to your back to your question. Uh, I think uh, yeah, playing in a band uh, back then also when it wasn't uh, you know you could it, it was like just the example with Power Slave that it was so volatile the media that you could record on it could easily fall apart it could get destroyed and you know no chance of getting it back. Yeah. Now everything is in the cloud and you can easily easily just reach out and uh, grab your ideas and put it yeah. together and it's it makes it easier but i also think it makes it harder to uh, really be uh, get a critical eye to look at your things and i'm starting to think about kirk hammett's phone now <laughs> you remember that debacle uh, with uh, <laughs> kirk losing his phone and just like oh i had so sure. many good riffs there and the other guys are probably just happy that way it's like oh nice now we don't have to turn down all those riffs <laughs> they turn down themselves you know as you said you said in last episode kirk has no room to grow in that band Oh, totally a, a dictator band for uh, sure metallica. for sure for sure with a, like a double dictatorship uh, which maybe is yeah. the beauty of metallica uh, as we addressed in in the previous uh, metallica special uh, mm. like a long time ago now that was midsummer that was like the summer festival this is like a harvest festival maiden mania you know we're in uh, this uh, yeah like the, the the wicker man is getting burned yeah all you know, hallowed like for the harvest all, festival all hallowed by the name Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's all hallows, hallow be thy name, you know, and so forth. It's, it's a fitting time to do Maiden. And I think we've addressed like uh, several of the songwriters, but we still haven't, I haven't uh, featured any riffs from Dave Murray or Janet Gears yet. Um, oh, so yeah. Do you have just, that? Uh, yeah. Do you, do you have any like, um, if I say name one Janet Gears riff, could you do it? Uh, no. I I'm think honest, most, I most guys probably couldn't. Uh, one great example that we featured before is uh, Ghost of the Navigator. That's complete Yannick. And I okay. mean, that, that alone is reason that, I mean, a lot of people are skeptical. Why do they have three guitars? Why is this guy spinning his guitar around and he doesn't even, you know, you have the iconic duo that is almost inseparable of uh, Dave Murray and Adrian Smith. And now there's this yeah. third guy that looks like Eddie, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, but he has great riffs and goes to navigator one of them like that riff uh, but the one i wanted to feature is uh, a riff that you can hear that none of the other guys in maiden could have written and uh, let's see if you know the riff it goes like this okay You know which one uh, no, yeah. Which one is that? Quite cool riff, right? A little bit thrashy. Yeah, uh, it's uh, yeah. The, the opening tune on uh, "Fear of the Dark," uh, "Be Quick or Be Dead." Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, he was in the band. When did he join the band? Actually, he joined the band for "No Prayer." But the thing is that mm. Adrian left in uh, the pre-production stage of "No Prayer," so he still has one songwriting credit on it, and Yannick has none because he came in so late. So like he really put his mark as a songwriter on uh, Fear of the Dark and then uh, every single album after this, actually. Like, mm. He's one of the better uh, riff writers in this band. And that yeah. has to be stressed because a lot of people, again, are wondering what is this face doing here? And mm. uh, Steve Harris, like, he has his principles. So when, when, he, when Adrian came back, he told Yannick that if it doesn't work out with three guitars, you're still in. 
you know, because there's no reason whatsoever to p- p- uh, fire you from the band, which I think is uh, yeah. the correct way to do it, because Adrian had been out for more than 10 years. And uh, mm-hmm. he just writes riffs in a different manner. Uh, I like I like his riff writing. There's another song on uh, Brain World called uh, Dream mm-hmm. of Mirrors that you may be familiar with. with yes, a, yes. A very simple riff, this one. It actually starts here. Just that. That's very good. Somehow Bruce manages to sing a melody on top of it because it's a one chord verse. It's only A minor. Something vivid comes again into my mind. (laughs) That part. Mm, uh, That's that's great. Nice rendition. Another side of, of, of Maiden, and I think it's, he's an important songwriter and he needs to be mentioned. I mean, again, uh, the crushing riff in, uh, in Ghost of the Navigator cannot mm. be denied. It's, it's a new power to Maiden and still very Maiden. And he's like a huge uh, Richie Blackmore fanboy. So, but uh, the yeah. intro riff in that one, isn't that? Uh, did he write that one as well? You mean the. Da-da. Have you ever felt. That one. Uh, no, no, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, in, the, in the Ghost of the Navigator. In which song? Uh, Ghost of the Navigator. Yeah, Ghost of yeah the... I think he wrote. Yeah. Um, how is it? Uh... I want to hear it. Yeah. It's a, that's a maiden classic by now. It's so good. It's I think, so uh, fucking good. Brain New World has a spot in, in there. Like it's definitely in the classics now when they play songs like Wicker mm. Man or the title track or Blood Brothers is a huge crowd song. I didn't I wasn't a huge fan of that when the album came out, but when you've seen it live it's it's majestic yeah. and but I have to Yeah, but it, I I I and I want I want I want to t- I actually want to talk uh, about um Brand new world. I, I, I kind of, you know, I kind of st- tried to start talking about it when I played the Wicker Man, but we were oh, yeah. too uh, too far back. So many albums. And yeah, but I mean, this is where where this is the classic. This is my first concert. Is going to see Iron Maiden on uh, Stockholm Stadion. Yeah, and uh, you know, I don't know what to expect. We talked about this before because, of course, the, the two bands uh, opening that night was Entombed. Which we have an episode about. Uh, very, very nice, uh, yeah. fantastic Swedish Stockholm band, and um, then Slayer. You know, like uh, a two is a one-two punch. You know, then I'm kind of out. And then I was, you know, I told this story before. I, I got, I was caught under, caught in the mosh. Let's say <laughs> I was caught under the whole yeah. uh, mosh pit, and someone pulled me up, and it was this big Slayer fan dude, and he held my hand we were standing there in the crowd like you know with all this madness going around and we were holding hands and then i threw up the horns in the hand you know and then he did the same and then we started like moshing again but then yeah after this <laughs> then <laughs> then you know then it comes uh, then it's time for iron maiden you know i'm so i'm super hyped that day i was there um very early yes yeah, you should be yeah, but no, we, actually, we, we were there very early, but we were not there early enough. So there was a, re, a, a super long line, and me and my friend Oscar, 
uh, we did something like I, I couldn't believe we did that then. We were six, 15, 16. We just went to the front of the line uh, at the uh, at, uh, staket, whatever that is, at the, at the fence. And we jumped Security the fence. fence yeah. And we were suddenly the first in line. <laughs> we jumped <laughs> yeah, like can, uh... we jumped 500 people. <laughs> it's like the worst. Okay. And no one said anything. And we were yeah, like I mean, 16. Uh, they could have thrown, thrown us out. But they didn't do anything. And we were like, yeah, we were in the first, first in line. And we weren't addressed. the last in line. <laughs> last in we were line. the first in line. I quickly addressed this uh, when we talked about this last time, that this was before some major accidents happened in um, Roskilde Festival in Denmark, I think mm. among others. And it was way more loose at the time. I was yeah. 13, so I had seated tickets. But towards halfway into Maiden Set, we were like, why do we sit up here? Why, why don't we just walk down? Which yeah. you could in those days. You could just walk down. Fantastic. You'd, you'd be in the, in, the, in the standing audience. And that was, of course, very epic at the age of 13. And, and yeah. uh, I mean, at the time, I didn't even know they had staples in their set. So I was wishing and hoping for Hallow Be The Name and for oh, Number yeah. The Beast. Like, I hope uh, I Number The Beast and Hallow Be The Name. <laughs> I didn't know they always play them, right? It's like, <laughs> you know, you go see Metallica, of course you want to hear Master of Puppets. And of course uh, you're gonna. But uh, at that time, you didn't know. And I mean, 2000, that year, it's distant now. That's, a, that's, that's the past. It's closer to Maiden's debut album than to today. Yeah. Which um, itself is a little bit mind-boggling, or I guess uh, you feel old now type of thing. But it really, also in terms of uh, just the vibe, it was more of yeah. the old school rock concert. You know, it wasn't as streamlined. But can, can I ask you something? I was standing there in line with Oscar, and we were. Uh, and they opened the gates, and now you have to. What I do in this moment? I mean, you you have to be the. Everyone, anyone, uh, dear listener, you can be the judge of this also. But I want you to judge me in this moment. All right. Because what I do, I, I'm wearing my Metallica T-shirt. I my hair has grown out uh, a little bit during the summer, but it's not long. <laughs> not at this <laughs> yeah, point. Yeah. Not it's at all. Perfect nerd, nerd length. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it wouldn't even. I would say it's like a '90s posh. Okay, um, well, that's yeah, that's but, today actually. Mm, but I'm running. We're running in. We're the first. You know, like no one. We're the. Everyone is running to get to the front. <laughs> I'm screaming. Yeah. Run to the hills. <laughs> Run for your life. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. You're screaming that. You want me to judge that? <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> my, you my can't. Judgment is, because it's great. I mean, my judgment is like, that's that's how you do it, man. This is how you yeah. do it, as Mark Knopfler said. Uh, I mean, that's, that's just it. And it reminds me of when I saw Entombed, uh, like the second or third time in Skansen, this outdoor museum of oh, sorts, yeah. or slash zoo in Stockholm. And uh, Entombed were about to play, and there was just this bald guy Standing alone, doing the invisible orange, you know, when you hold the, the, demonic, the demonic hand with an invisible orange in it. And he was just <laughs> procuring his own kind of ritual, <laughs> pre-show <laughs> ritual, and singing like, Entombed! Entombed! <laughs> and me and my friends, we still talk about this guy. And in, wow. in, 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 that vi in that vein, I hope that people still remember you singing Run to the Hills. You know, yeah. that's just, you have to get fired up, man. You can't just go to a metal show and be the, all, all analytical. You know, no. it's not for that. 
you're supposed to get fired up. You're supposed to join a slightly a slight mass hypnosis mm. to to really enjoy. And it. I, it was a fantastic show. I mean, so good. Yeah, I, I remember it got dark, and you know, like he 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 noticed. You know, of course, he noticed that now it's dark. Now we know what, which song to play. I think it was a bit organic also like now it's time for fear of the dark it wasn't completely dark but it was really heading towards there it was in june so yeah it doesn't really get dark but uh it was just great and he comes out and i think they open with uh the wicker man and yeah, uh, as yeah. as you as as with always Adrian. like oh, yeah it's very it's it happened of course he comes uh, everyone they're playing the song they're playing the riff and um uh, Bruce Dickinson comes out and his uh, 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 you can't hear him because the, his, he's uh, not turned on you know, his, that's usually uh, the case when it's a bit chaotic yeah. uh, like the first couple yeah. of rows yeah. but it's uh, but it's still like it's cool and he's running around zip lining and stuff and it, yeah this is where I wanted to go actually like 20 mm -hmm. minutes ago uh, the, they're, they're set Everything yeah. that goes on with the maiden set, like they they really kind of perfected and uh, sticked with their set. Even though they change a lot of things in between, they still have uh, some staples. Yeah. And uh, can you name can you name a couple? I can really I can make a structure of how a maiden set is usually yes. done. Actually, like uh, let's say they're on an album tour, they will feature four up to even more, six uh, at one time, the whole album. So they will feature a lot of the new album because they're usually proud of it and they want to stay relevant, you know, not be a, a nostalgic act, even yeah. though, of course, they are, but and they know it. But uh, So normally in the beginning, you get the first two songs of the new album with no banter in between. And then maybe they will hit it into a classic after that, like Ratchild or Trooper, Two Minutes, mm -hmm. to, you know, to even further intensify the vibe. Then you'll get like Bruce's speech, uh, and then head into maybe an, an epic clansman or something like that. Yeah. And then you'll be back for another couple of two or three new songs, uh, maybe not in a row, but somehow uh, sequenced in a smart way. And then you'll have Fear of the Dark, and then you'll have The Iron Maiden, um, and then Encore. And in the Encore, you often find songs like Sanctuary, Running Free, uh, Run to the Hills, yeah. Number of the Beast, uh, Evil Let Men Do, classics, you know. And they mm. really stuck to this formula. And, um, you know, sometimes I wish they did uh, the Lars Ulrich, you know. You know, they'd go on and they'd play songs like Still Life. I love that song. Mm. I haven't been played since uh, mid-80s or late-80s. And uh, they play songs like uh, Purgatory, Caught Summer in Time, uh, you know, Stranger in a Strange Land, Alexander the Great. If they were Metallica, they would. But they're not mm. Metallica, you know. It's very like, uh, it's more of a production you know, they have these huge backdrops for different songs. Everything is prepared. They play the same set uh, pretty much every night, and the set is modeled in a similar fashion. And then, like yeah. post 2000, they started to do every other tour is a best of tour. But then it's already yeah, yeah. based on another classic, you know, like uh, they did uh, Somewhere Back yeah. in Time or Flight 666, as it's known in, in film format. It's basically a live rendition of Live After Death, which is already mm. a live rendition of, you know. <laughs> it's really so. strange. Yeah, still good. It's a still really good, meta. Like, yeah, I mean, they've really been going like, on for a long time. But sometimes I wish what? they were more uh, more spontaneous or more crazy with the set list. But then mm -hmm. at the same time, I know my maiden, and I know that's not how they do it. Like, what would you comment on that? Would you like them to have their own trapped under eyes, Dyer's Eve, uh, 
uh, hit the lights, uh, you know, just well, uh, wouldn't random it be great? fans, fan favorites. Wouldn't it be awesome if they like went up and yeah, you know, just get it back to the yeah. village, yeah, back in the I, village? I would be so happy. I'd rather hear that than some of their better songs, some of the superior songs, you know. But that's being a fan, and I think, yeah, Metallica is different there. They really have the fans' mm. perspective. Lars thinks like a fan when he puts together the playlist, whereas uh, Maiden think like a company more, you know. Yeah. Uh, but both of them are, like, make no mistake, they're both corporate. <laughs> both Metallica and our Maiden. Like, they definitely have uh, boardroom meetings on things. Uh, but this is the thing also. Uh, 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 sorry, uh, please. Uh, no, 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 that was it. That was it. Continue. Uh, yeah, but it's interesting what we come upon here, the corporate aspect, the management. Yeah, very successful very managing uh, managing management behind this band. Yes, incredible. Yes. And uh, like Metallica, very tight team where you have mm. uh, roadies and uh, techs that have been on for decades. You know. Yeah. And uh, funnily enough, Metallica has the Brit uh, Big Mick, who's been doing sound for forty years, uh, mm. just about with Metallica. <laughs> you know, every single live show, uh, he's there. With his yeah. huge beard, and then Maiden had an American, you know, to turn to turn it around, Dog Hall, who did every mm. show from like the earliest earliest years up until quite recently when they switched to to a new sound. He probably went to pension, I guess. Yeah, and they switched to a new uh, sound engineer who used to work with Justin Bieber, actually. And oh. he's he's actually super good, you know. It's it's uh, it's my job, right? Or it used to be my job, and I felt like okay, it's not Dog Hall, but it's actually better, you know. Is even better, but that's not the point. The point is that uh, it's a tight team. They still have the, they call them the killer crew, you know, the road crew, and they're still under wage during Corona uh, as oh, a kind of great. solidarity, you know, type type deal. And maybe yeah. they have secret projects. Who knows? They are very secretive, and everyone, every big Maiden fan, is kind of ninety nine percent sure that it's a fully completed new Maiden album. It's done. But it's yeah. not going to be released because of the times we're currently living in. Ah, uh, okay. But there, okay, this brings me, okay, I'm dropping a name here. Rod Smallwood. Yeah, that's the guy. The manager. The, yeah. the manager of uh, Iron He's Maiden. like the muscle. And then you have the brain or the digits in Andy Taylor, who's mm. like, you know, the, yeah, the numbers guy. And uh, Rod Smallwood, I'm, I have no facts about this, but I'm sure he has like beaten people in order for Iron Maiden to work <laughs> out in the early days, you know. Not these days, but I'm sure he's been like, where is our money kind of guy, you know. Mm. Uh, and it was rough, you know. It was, they came from a rough context with East End and, uh, uh, yeah, like a bar brawl was probably standard in the beginning. <laughs> and yeah, they, I mean, know, the, promoted they had to... I, I'm just reading, I put, pulled up the wiki of uh, Rod Smallwood, but <laughs> this was really like... Uh, uh, nice uh, trivia, and why not? I mean, now we, we kind of freeformed, so let's. I'm just reading here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so he he contacted Steve Harris, and uh, and this was in 1979, and he arranged two pub gigs for the group in West London, one at Winster Castle, and the other one at the at the Swan in Hammersmith. And neither show went to plan. The first was cancelled after the after the band refused to play early and the band had to perform the second without lead vocalist Paul Diano who was yeah. arrested for carrying a knife 30 minutes before the gig. Yeah. And then he stayed on anyway. 
Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah. And I mean, when they couldn't do it with Paul, Harris had to sing some songs, and he's an incredibly bad singer, Steve Harris. <laughs> like when he does his choirs in songs like Can I Play With Madness or... Uh, uh, he does quite a bit of uh, backing vocals, and they're never yeah. in tune. He's not even in the right scale. Like uh, singing for him is like, he's a footballer, right? He used to be a semi-professional football player. He picked between that and and and, uh, and playing. So he's a super physical guy. I think his brain is not terribly involved in his performances. Mm. And mm. Uh, in, in backing vocals, it's completely arbitrary. He does whatever note there is. Like, run to the hills. That's not the backup vocal. But <laughs> 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 he's just doing it. And then the first time Rod sees them, he's singing. Of course, it's a disaster. Uh, and uh, I think he even stopped after half the set. Even himself realized that uh, shit, I can't sing. Like, better we better do this instrumentally. Yeah. And then Paul was bailed out, and he returned for like the f- last four songs. Oh, <laughs> wow, <laughs> <laughs> that's quick. Yeah, it's also interesting with that rough and rowdy part of Maiden because take a band yeah. like Motorhead. It's really mm. part of their image that they were awake for four days uh, because of. Uh, uh, just a hefty use of amphetamine and, drink, and yeah. drinking and Maiden used to do this as well but it's definitely a band that has washed that away they have mm. these young fans you know I got into them when I was 12 and uh, it's a family type band they keep it very clean and I mean famously yeah. Steve and, and Bruce have been rather clean as for what they've been doing I mean in a way Steve Harris is like you he looks like he has smoked a ton of dope but he hasn't <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I'm not saying you look tired, you know, you just you have long hair, you know. You yeah, know okay. I mean. You have long hair, you have a you have a cool look. So it looks like you smoked. <laughs> but uh he has been this they have been a bit of like a healthy healthy alternative. Adrian Smith, he has had the same girlfriend since 1983, you know, which is now his wife. And Steve was early on married and stopped partying on tour, but uh, there was definitely a part of it when everything was rough, and uh, that's what why Clive Burr had problems, and that's why Paul Diano had problems, because they would stay away for days uh, doing um, uppers yeah. in this kind of rough uh, context, and that's the same context where I kind of see Rod Smallwood um, sucker punching a, an arranger for not paying or something like that, you know. They really have yeah. this uh, blue-collar background, even though now they feel more like a conservative or nerdy band. I don't know. What's your input on that? No, definitely. It's really fun to read about uh, early Maiden, and then you know, look at you go from that, and then you jump and watch Flight Six 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 Six, the documentary where uh, Bruce Dickinson suddenly you know is uh, uh, flying the band around the world. Yeah, you know, super uh, tight uh, scheduling, and yeah. but in between they also have time, a lot of time to play golf. Yeah, <laughs> like, this is what they do. They go around <laughs> and play golf. golf. All of them. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Adrian fishes, and Bruce has his flying and fencing, but yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And uh, Steve doesn't like golf; he's a footballer. But yeah, still, like th- theoret- not theoretically, but uh, emotionally, they're all golfers. So I agree with you there. They're like, they are these old, old rich men, you know, yeah. at the core of it. Uh, and if, in fact, I was going to say something. Yeah, it was about uh, Steve's uh, mannerism in lyrics as well, how they have mm-hmm. changed over the years. Like, I have these three phases of Steve that I'd like to present to you. Oh, yeah. As a lyric yes. writer. 
So we go back to songs we featured before, Killers, Prowler. Okay. And uh, there you have this kind of weird, it's almost unethical perspective of always like ambushing women. You know, <laughs> it's, it's uh, definitely uncomfortable as a main yeah. topic. A lot of songs about killing women, jumping out of the bushes, showing yeah. your dick. It's like, uh, yeah, this ambush, overfalls, uh, järningar, you know. Uh, the centers around all the lyrics, and then well, uh, can, yeah, yeah. Con- you can comment on that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, okay, we don't know, but I think they they live in this very kind of rough neighborhoods, uh, East London. Yeah, uh, and they th- this is kind of what's going on there. You know, the kind of it's a Jack the Ripper vibe. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm guessing now, but I think I think it's really rough in the 70s. Um, yeah, like Jack there is the inspiration later. Yeah, but it's an inspiration uh, from that, uh, and it's like what what's in the local newspaper. Yeah, I don't think he had a fetish of. I don't think he had like a fetish of uh, assaulting women in public or anything mm. like that. But uh, the no. lyrical content goes towards that. And then, as 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 Maiden progresses, we come into second era Steve, where it gets really yeah. existential. Like almost every, all of his songs are about what is real. Am I in this dream? Uh, can I trust my own instincts or vibes? You know, so that's the kind of mid era, Steve. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm thinking, what is real? Future real? Future real. <laughs> yeah, well, it's kind of the end of that era, I would say. And then you know, something okay, from still mid, sun or, still mid. Yeah, or fear of the dark, which is uh, a lot of people think is a silly lyric. You know, mm. I'm scared of the dark. I'm looking for the light switch with my hand. Mm. But I'd like to kind of uh, contradict that or um, speak against it, I guess, and say that it's for me it's quite ballsy to write. You're this metal beast, right? You're Steve Harris, yeah. and you write this song about being scared of the dark in yeah, a very naive this... and uh, open-hearted, uh, soft <laughs> yeah. uh, tone. You know. Okay, but this this is driving. Okay, the, the, I can see a trajectory now in this maiden mania. I don't know. We're maybe we're on the third episode now. I don't know, uh, dear listener. I yeah, uh, hope knows. you're enjoying this. <laughs> yeah. uh, but um, but this is an interesting part of maiden. I think the heartfelt maiden. I, I know may, maybe you know which song I'm pointing towards. And uh, but let's let's stick on uh, on fear of dark. And I think that's also kind of something that. Uh, at almost the same time that Metallica realized with uh, Enter Sandman that you yeah. you can really go for this maybe like even like children's theme of uh, fear and anxiety instead of going for the the grown you you know maybe stuff like Ride the Lightning and uh, you know getting executed yeah, or Prowler or Killers you know yeah I mean this is so this is kind of angsty uh, teenage stuff. Uh, that it's more kind of also in the real world, like this um, uh, someone uh, attacking women. But but the real like existential stuff is in the, that you find that in the, in your childhood, and I think it's way more relatable to anyone. That's why yeah. Fear of the Dark is such a uh, big hit. Yeah, I think so. It really hits some kind of nerve, and it's very honest. Like you said about mm. Crystal Mountain, the riffage. Like, mm. uh, why would you? You're not trying to be cool when you're writing. You play a song. something from uh, from Fear of the Dark. Uh, the thing is, I haven't played that in ages, uh, so I might have to edit this. But uh, you know. <laughs> Ja, 
you know, uh, these kind of pumping eight yeah. note riffs. Yeah, I think you did it better actually, but uh, I played the other part. I think uh, shall we try to play it together? <laughs> we could, we could, I guess. All right, a one, a two, a one, two, three, four. Future Jonathan here again. Just gonna say that you have made it through the second part in the Game for Its Maiden Mania special. The next part in the series will be out on our normal airing time, which is Wednesday. And as usual, if you like the show and know someone that might also like the show, tell them. See ya! Oh, and by the way, this version of Fear of the Dark is performed by Algal, that's A-L-G-A-L or also Bardcore on YouTube.